Welcome to the ACOFP DO.FM Practice Management Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Welcome to the DO.FM Practice Management Podcast. This is Rob Pedowitz, DOFACOFP, the chair of the Practice Management Committee. I'm the Medical Director for Family Practice of Center State, as well as Medical Director for Primary Care Integration and Innovation at Center State Healthcare System in Freehold, New Jersey. Joining me is Christopher Scuderi, DO, Vice Chair of Practice Management Committee. Chris is Associate Chair of Clinical Operations North, Clinical Associate Professor of Family Medicine at the University of Florida College of Medicine, Jacksonville, Medical Director, University of Florida Health, Family Medicine and Pediatrics of New Berlin. Also joining us today are David Cox, RN, BSN, Population Care Manager, Managed Care Department at Shands and University of Florida Healthcare Network, as well as Samantha Quinn, LPN, Population Care Coordinator, Family Practice of Center State, Freehold, New Jersey. I would like to thank everyone for joining in on this podcast, and we are going to be speaking today about transition to care and everything that you'd ever want to know about transition to care. And uh, it'll be a question and answer format. Uh, we will begin now uh, with Dr. Scuderi asking the first question. Excellent. Uh, thank you, Dr. Pedowitz. And so, you know, the first question we have is, what is transition to care? So the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, defines a transition of care as a movement of a patient from one setting of care to another. Settings of care may include hospitals, ambulatory primary care practices, ambulatory specialty care practices, long-term care facilities, home health and rehabilitation facilities. Because hospital discharge is a complex process and transitions can increase the risk of adverse events due to the potential for miscommunication, it is imperative to ensure a safe and effective transfer of patient's medical care. This relies on effective provider communication with the patient and his or her support team as well as comprehension of discharge instructions. So Dr. Scuderi, which patients are appropriate for transition to care? How does the process start and how does it work? Thanks, Dr. Pedowitz. And so when we think about which patients are most appropriate, we wanna think about who are patients are at the highest risk of readmission? Who are our most vulnerable patients? And so when we do this, we wanna look at our patients holistically. What is their functional status? What is their nutrition status? What are their social determinants of health? What is their living arrangements like? How is their access to care? What is their access to food and nutrition? What are language barriers that they may have that may stop them from seeking care? The other thing that we wanna think about with their patients as they discharge from the hospital are those who may need higher level of care. Um, Some that may need skilled nursing or they may need physical therapy. Uh, They may need wound care. Do they need IV medication at home? Um, So we wanna think about as our patients are getting ready to discharge, who are those that need that extra touch to make sure that they have a successful transition to home to prevent risk of readmission? So, okay, so the, the next question is for Dr. Pedowitz. Can this type of visit be used for hospital patients only? How about patients being discharged from nursing homes or skilled nursing facilities? Thank you, Dr. Scuderi. So the good news is that a transition to care can be used for a hospital and skilled nursing facilities. Any patient that gets discharged that meets the criteria would be eligible for transition to care. So Dr. Scuderi, why is it important to have a successful model when we refer to transition to care? 
Sure, Dr. Petawood. So, so it's important to have a successful model because this type of visit really protects our patients at their most vulnerable time. When our patients are being discharged from a hospital or from a skilled nursing facility, they've had some major event in their life. And so it is really important that they know that they have their team standing behind them, that the primary care physician is standing behind them, that we're communicating with them, and that we're going to shepherd them through this most difficult time. Providing patient-centered discharge planning with demonstrated comprehension and compliance uh, with discharge instructions by the patient can reduce emergency department visits and rehospitalizations. It can improve post-discharge health outcomes, and it can decrease healthcare expenditures. And I think this is really important here in 2021 in the world of COVID-19 because so many of our hospitals are being stretched thin right now. Our hospitals are working really hard. Our nurses are working really hard. A lot of them are short-staffed due to quarantines or, or due to staffing issues. And so our patients may not be receiving the touches that they previously received in the hospital. So having a great transitional care management program will really make sure that our patients are getting the care they need and their discharge is successful. Thank you, Dr. Scuderi. So at this point, we're going to ask questions of the people that really make it happen, our nurses, who are really in the trenches, making sure that our patients follow up appropriately, whether it be being discharged from the hospital or a skilled nursing facility. Uh, population care coordinators and managers are really the ones that make everything uh, move smoothly for us as physicians as well as patients. So I'm going to start by asking Samantha Quinn, LPN. Samantha, how does a practice or physician institute this process for transition care management for their patients? Well, first, the family physician needs to, if they are using a hospitalist, have an arrangement in place to coordinate care. Uh, this means that the hospitalist or any other admitting physician or surgeon, they need to provide clear discharge instructions, including the names, um, diagnosis, directions of medications, as well as plans for follow-up with their primary care physician and any other specialists. If the family physician is the physician caring for the patient in the hospital, he or she would need to coordinate the care with the patient while they are admitted and getting ready for discharge, and then to schedule their follow-up in the, in the office for an appointment. The family physician would also be responsible for providing clear discharge instructions. Thanks, Samantha, for, for the great information. David, would you be able to share some uh, about you know, what works regarding this in, in here in Florida? Sure. The communication needs to be within the first two business days after discharge. So some folks think it's 48 hours, but it's two business days. So that means, for instance, if somebody's discharged on Thursday, you can either get in touch with them on Friday or the following Monday. And that can be performed by the provider, uh, whether that's a physician or, or a mid-level provider. And it can also be performed by other licensed clinical staff under the physician's direction. So that means that very frankly, uh, medical assistants are not uh, qualified to be able to make these kind of contacts because they don't have the professional training to be able to do that. But nurses uh, such as Samantha and myself certainly can. Uh, communication can be with direct contact face-to-face -face, or more commonly via telephone or by electric send or receive messaging like uh, through your uh, patient portal with your EMR. And, and the, so the post-discharge communication uh, may assess and support treatment regimen adherence and medication management. Communication can also facilitate access to care 
and services needed by the patient and family. If the physician or other qualified professional is not directly involved in this communication, documentation of the conversation via a separate note uh, must be shared with the provider to address the status of the patient and also the need for any kind of follow-up on any pending diagnostic tests or treatments. Any documentation must be detailed and clearly placed uh, in the medical record. So in, in the communication regarding care within that two business day window may be engaged with the patient and or also a family member, a guardian caretaker, surrogate decision maker, or other professional. Um, in my calls, and I'm sure this is the same for Samantha, I have spoken to any or all of those designations at one time or another. Uh, and it just adds to the efficiency and the, and the effectiveness of the communication. This does give us an opportunity to educate the patient and also family members uh, and clarify post-discharge instructions while probing for any acute problems that have popped up. And these might include uh, difficulties in obtaining newly prescribed medications or lack of follow-up by home health or home medical equipment providers. One question that often comes up regarding the non-face-to-face contact portion of the transition care management services is this. What about those folks who do not answer our phone calls and other outreach efforts? The CMS guidance on these codes and this service says that as long as you have made two efforts to contact the patient and have documented them, you have still satisfied the non-face-to-face requirements. Okay, thank you. That was uh, very informative, uh, both Samantha and David. Dr. Scuderi, what recommendations and suggestions do you have, including some lessons learned? Excellent. Thanks, Dr. Petowitz. And so I think the most important lesson is having a good system. And it's really important that you want to build a system that has some redundancy in it. If anything, you know, 2020 and 2021 has taught us, you know, our staff may not be there. There, there may be certain individuals who may be sick or may be quarantined. And so developing a system where you're notified that your patients have been hospitalized or getting discharged, and there's a process in place that someone will be able to contact that patient within 48 business hours is the key to running a successful transitional care management program. And so you have to find a way to make sure that receiving information from your hospitals, whether that's your EHR, um, whether that's uh, an event notification system like we have here in Florida. So just finding some way to make sure that you have information coming into your office that your patients are getting discharged and then having a person or preferably a group of people that can act and make the phone call to your patients. So that way that can be done within 48 hours, which is the rate limiting step on having these visits done and then having the patient scheduled preferably within seven days, but if not within 14 days, so this visit can be completed. You know, as, as David Cox was mentioning, medication reconciliation is really important during this process. One of the greatest dangers to our patients is them being confused about which medications they're supposed to be on post-discharge because of changes made to their prior medications prior to their admission. The other thing that's very important is to make sure that your patients are able to get their medications. A few medications that we really see patients struggle to get um, at discharge down here in Florida are the novel anticoagulants. A lot of times patients will get started on these in the hospital and then they're unable to afford them. And so they may go a week or two without anticoagulation if we're not checking on it. Another one is antibiotics. A lot of times patients will be prescribed antibiotics in the hospital and then they may find out that there's some interaction or it may be high risk according to the pharmacy and the patient may not be able to get it. And so that's where we 
in family medicine come in and are able quickly by using this transitional care uh, management process to identify if there's an issue and help those patients. The other place where it really helps out is to make sure that the patients have appropriate DNA post-discharge. So a lot of times patients are discharged with oxygen and they may not be able to get it. And so by having these phone calls and having this visit, you will be able to identify if the patient's able to get their oxygen or if they're able to get a bedside commode or a walker or what other, other equipment's going to make it so the patient can be successful while they're at home. So Dr. Pedowitz, then the next question is for you. So what are the components of the visit and what is the proper coding and billing for the visit? Thank you, Dr. Scuderi. That's a great question and one that uh, most physicians and providers are constantly asking and sometimes they get a little bit confusing, but there, there are two codes that get used. The first one is 99495. And the second one is 99496. There are a lot of similarities to them, but I'm going to go over some of the uh, basic parts. So 99495, which is Transitional Care Management Services, require the following elements. First of all, communication with the patient and or caregiver, whether it be via direct contact, telephone, or by electronic means, needs to be within two business days, as mentioned by David earlier, within two business days of discharge. Medical decision-making needs to be at least of moderate complexity during the service period. And the face-to-face -face visit needs to occur within 14 calendar days of discharge. The second code, 99496, also requires the same type of communication within two business days of discharge. The medical decision-making should be of high complexity during the service period. And the face-to-face -face visit needs to occur within seven calendar days of discharge. You may only bill one transitional care management visit during a 30-day period following a hospital or SNF discharge, even if the patient is readmitted and discharged during that time. So it's very important. You can only bill this once in a 30-day period. For those of you that use relative value units uh, for productivity, a 99495 equals 2.11 RVUs. A 99496 equals 3.05 RVUs. In comparison to those people that are not coding using transitional care management and use more traditional codes such as 99214 and 99215, a 99214, so let's say a visit of moderate complexity, would be a 1.50 RVU. And a 99215, a visit of high complexity, would be 2.11. Uh, so you can see um, that having the right coding will one, be better for the patient and ensure that you're providing the right type of visit, but you also get a higher RVU for that same visit. So in this last year, we've all been challenged with how they get our patients into the office at the height of a pandemic, and it continues to be an issue today. So very early on, uh, we had to decide whether our patients should be coming into the office especially when getting discharged from the hospital and some of them still with an active COVID infection or whether we could do that via telehealth. And Dr. Scuderi, would you like to address whether these types of visits can be done via telehealth? Sure. And thanks, Dr. Petowitz. And so, you know, ideally, you know, the visits you know, should be done in person, but you can do them via telehealth. And I think all of us, you know, over the past year have become a lot more comfortable with telehealth visits. And so, if there are barriers to the patient coming in, if they're high risk for COVID-19 or if there's any other reason why it's tough for them to be in the office, it's absolutely appropriate to do the visit via telehealth as long as you meet the markers and documentation and the markers in the uh, phone call that needs to be made. Um, I think, you know, as, as 
more and more of us become comfortable with telehealth, it's, it's definitely a viable option. You know, this week I, I was able to do a telehealth visit with one of my patients down here in Florida. And the advantage of this, they were able to have multiple family members on the call from different locations that had a lot of concerns about their mom. And so we we're able to, you know, look at this and, and address each of their concerns one by one. And I think they felt very comfortable, you know, having this type of communication post or discharge because they had a lot of questions uh, with the hospitalization. And so there are advantages to doing it via telehealth, but you do lose the physical exam that you would do with an in-person visit. Thank you. So Dr. Scuderi, both you and myself, as well as uh, our nurses, you know, David and Samantha, we're part of, you know, systems, you know, healthcare systems, and it affords us a little bit more flexibility and we can provide additional staff and it may be a small group or independent physician could not be able to do, at least not maybe as easily. So what type of advice can you provide to these types of groups, you know, or independent physicians so they can be successful with TCM? Sure. So I think the key is, is to build a good system for TCM. And so that starts with having information come in from your hospital or your hospitalist that you closely work with for your patients. So I think having a way that you know that you're getting information that your patient's been admitted and being discharged, so that way you're able to make that call within, you know, within uh, two business days is the key to success. And so just work you know, with your local hospitals to get that information in. And then identify your staff member who meets the appropriate licensure that can make those phone calls and make those phone calls and then schedule those patients. But those who are successful have great systems. And so again, just, just look at what do we need to do as an office to make sure that we can get our patients in successfully for these visits. Okay, thank you. So we'd like to go back to asking our uh, nurses some very important questions, You know, basically successes and lessons learned. So we're going to ask the same question for each of our nurses. So the listeners to this podcast will get an idea of how different systems in different parts of the country are, are handling transition to care management you know, programs and, and visits. So Samantha, what has worked in your organization having a successful TCM program? Primarily having nurses on our side that create that first non-face-to-face contact out to the patient has been a major factor in our success. We're able to, like David had said before, we're able to get in contact with our patients within two business days to start the ball rolling on transition, transition of care management visits. And same question for David. What has worked in your organization? Um, in our system uh, at UF Health Jacksonville, each of our primary care practices has those non-face-to-face contacts uh, provided by a nurse. So it's either by a staff nurse at the clinic, it's, it's a case with me, or by a small team of nurses who uh, cover the practices that don't have a nurse on staff. At this time, our electronic medical record, we're an Epic shop, is primary source for the ADT, the admission, transfer, and discharge data for our patient populations. Because if we don't know that somebody's been discharged, then we're not going to be calling them. Thank you. Next question, Samantha, what has been the benefits to your patients, practices, and organizations? One of the biggest benefits that we see in our in our practice for our patients is that they have that one-on-one contact with a staff member over at the practice, and that greatly helps reduce any readmissions that we might see by having that care management time, that care management visit opened up for the patient. The patients are really enjoying hearing from 
their practice, the care and concern that we have for them because they've just left the hospital. And it's really helped our, our patient relationship as well. Okay, thank you. And, and David, same question. Well, I would certainly affirm everything that, that Samantha said. You know, it gives us a chance to affirm and clarify the hospital discharge instructions uh, to identify and address any care gaps or other problems that have come up since hospital discharge. And as Samantha said, that warm contact really is so valuable to the patient. Really, it, it generates goodwill for the for the practice and, and the primary care providers as well. And, and I will say that uh, in our system, once we really started focusing on this, and I guess Dr. Scuderi is probably about three years ago, since then we've seen a drop in our 30-day hospital readmissions in our facilities of 30 to upwards of 40%. It's really quite remarkable. And I know that this has been a big part of it. Thank you. You know, it's, it's, it's been amazing just in, in our organization, we're safety net hospital and, and there's been months we've been under 10% for readmissions, which we never thought we'd see. And so I think it's, it's just really a great, program, you know, not only for our patients, but also for the hospitals. Samantha, I'm going to ask you the next question. What is the challenge that you've encountered, you know, doing this program? So one of the challenges that we have encountered was a lot of our providers, seasoned providers have large patient panels. Sometimes getting that visit in for a hospital follow-up was a challenge that we were seeing in our schedule. As Dr. Padowitz and yourself have explained before, there's a certain time frame that we have to get the patients in for that face-to-face visit in order to be able to bill out for these transition of care management visits. Sometimes our doctors for any type of visit are, are booked out pretty far, you know, leaving room for only emergency office visits. So what my team has done is really identify those physicians that have the larger panels of patients and have been able to build into their schedule visit slots for them to see patients for hospital follow-up. So we have been able to create more room for patients to be seen so that we can bill out for these transition of care management visits. Although it was a challenge, we, we really overcome that hurdle of finding those appointment time slots for our patients. Excellent. Thank you. David, same question. Uh, what is the challenge that you've encountered? In our situation at, at Northeast Florida, we have a lot of um, a managed care not only commercial, but certainly Medicare Advantage. And a lot of us have seen the growth in that over the past several years. And also this is a managed Medicare state, the state of Florida is. So over 90% of our Medicaid patients, sorry, Medicaid, are uh, on a managed contract. And these are, these tend for us are PPO models. In, in our competitive market, we have what, at least five other systems that have uh, one or more facilities here. A fair amount of our patients assigned to the plans by the plans to our PCPs, they're hospitalized in local facilities other than ours. A direct notification, whether from the facility or from the patient or caregiver, really is spotty at best, and that's quite a challenge. Excellent, thank you, David. And so the next question is gonna be for you, Samantha. How can technology help this process in the future? What opportunities do you see? So an opportunity that we actually took advantage of was uh, the New Jersey statewide um, health information exchange, as well as being very well versed in our own hospital systems health information exchange. We are able to see in real time when patients are discharged from the hospital within our own facility. And then we are also able to see when patients are being discharged or have a transition in their care throughout the state of New Jersey. Now, while 
every hospital does not participate in this statewide information exchange. It, a lot of the major players do. So it's really helped us narrow down and discover, you know, find our patients when they're being discharged from certain hospitals or facilities. Thank you for the, for the great information. David, uh, can you share some information too on what technology can help this process in the future? Sure. Uh, we're in a different part of the process that Samantha had identified. So uh, we do have a statewide health information exchange system. And as far as I know, all facilities, including nursing homes, participate in it, but they don't all get the information back. And we've just, I was very excited to learn that we're in the process of setting that up so that we get that information coming back. Dr. Skadir, I think that's actually gonna start next month was the last time frame I had heard. And, and you know, it's, it's a complicated process. It, it can, it's an expensive process, but once it's initiated, this is greatly gonna improve our ability to track our patient population across multiple care settings, including standalone EDs and extended care facilities. I think we're gonna see an increase in the numbers of patients we know that are being discharged from a facility somewhere by at least 20% and probably more than that. Thank you, Samantha and David. I think this has been great, you know, great information from our, our nurses. And, you know, we think that uh, any physician, you know, or provider, whether it be a small practice, uh, independent practice, large system, really should be and can be doing transition to care management in the practices uh, very smoothly. Uh, may not always feel smooth, but there's always a way to do this. Again, even during a pandemic, we've been able to do this even via telehealth. So some key takeaways that I'd like to give, and then I would hand it back to Dr. Scuderi to kind of wrap everything up and give some of his key takeaways as well. You know, transition to care management is great for patient care, you know, especially with building stronger relationships, trust, compliance with your patients, as we've stated, reducing rehospitalizations and really reducing complications, you know, with our very challenging patients. Our goal for all of us is to decrease readmission rates. You know, it's best for the patient. Of course, it's, you know, best practice as well. It's value-based care and value-based payments are also, you know, looking to reduce readmission rates. This is great for improving the bottom line. And, you know, certainly TCM reduces risk. And, you know, I think it's just a better way for us to um, have that great handoff between the hospital and the outpatient side, especially when many of us are not in the hospital as much as we used to be. And so when working with hospitalists, um, this really helps the overall handoff of patients and the smoother care that we're all um, aspiring you know, to, to have for our patients. So Dr. Scuderi. Excellent. And, uh, you know, I'd like to, to conclude by thanking Dr. Pedowitz for, for leading the charge on, on this podcast today. Um, you know, when we look at this transitional care management, I think it's one of the few things in medicine. I always tell people it's a win, win, win. It's a huge win for our patients because we're checking on them. They know that we care. They know that we're there following them, you know, especially when they're most vulnerable. It's a win for our hospital systems because we're decreasing the readmission rates and we're hoping them to be successful. And it's a win for our practices because they increase reimbursement for, for this type of visit. The other place that's a big win is it's a win for the patient experience. You know, patients really, I think, are reassured knowing that we're there in the background, that the minute they transition out, we're checking on them within two business days. That gives them a lot of confidence in our practices that we're there, that they're just not a number, that we want to make sure that they're successful during this transition. And so, you know, overall, it's, it, it's a great program. I encourage, it's, it's very easy to do if you can get a good system set up. So I just encourage everyone who's listening to this call, you know, please just think about 
you know, how can I implement this in my practice? I think you're going to really see it to be a great win for the practice and a great win for your patients. And so we really just, just encourage you with that. That's why it's very imperative that during hospitalization, strong emphasis is made on discharge instructions and arrangements for post-hospital discharge services. And that really points to a, a, the need uh, for a real strong case management structure to be able to handle that. It's not going to be perfect. And that's one of the reasons that, that it's imperative that we make these contacts, but certainly um, that can help. In, in our system, in University of Florida, uh, we've committed extra uh, staff to be able to just to set those appointments up so that people have those appointments. And the majority of patients I call, not all of them, but the majority already have an appointment set up with their PCP within a 14-day uh, transition period before I even pick the phone up and call them, which is really helpful to them and to us. That's a great point. You know, absolutely. And it does start with that uh, case management and, and that handoff. So I think if, uh, if it's a hospitalist or it's a, a primary care doctor himself or herself that are in the system, you know, giving the right instructions for the patients really goes a long way. And it's so important why David, why you and Samantha do what you do. And, and that allows for that transition to be smooth. And uh, I think if a doctor was independent, they need to have a nurse or assistant or someone that they can rely on um, or a navigator or somebody to help that process. Absolutely. Preferably someone that knows their patient population and knows the providers. I know that for myself, I, I can send direct messages to Dr. Scuderi and the other uh, providers at, at the New Berlin office and be able to uh, give them a heads up on something uh, that's pretty much ASAP. And I really know that that helps the patients in, in some of those situations. On behalf of the Practice Management Committee, I want to thank Samantha Quinn and David Cox for joining us today and for the great information that they shared. You know, your nurses really make this program happen, and, and we get so many compliments from our patients about these calls and just what a difference they've made and some of the small things they pick up. And so I just want to thank them for the work that they do and for the great information that they shared with us today. And uh, just on behalf of the Practice Management Committee, we want to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope to have many podcasts in the future. We just hope all of you have a great 2021 and that you all stay healthy and just want to thank each of you for the work that you're doing out there. I know it's been a challenging time, but your work is making a huge difference. So we want to tell you thank you. The ACOFP DO.FM Practice Management Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about the ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org. Interested in learning more about practice management resources from ACOFP? Visit the Resources tab at www.acofp.org where you'll find a practice management page with a number of helpful articles and links.